0: morning, church. You know, if you were paying attention to the text as it was being read, um, you were probably, there's a very good chance that you were disturbed by it. And that makes sense. That's totally understandable. Here in our series, at this point in David's life, King David is absolutely floored by the most intense suffering. For a week, he did not eat. For a week, he did not bathe. For a week, he lay on the floor in agony, weeping. For seven days. God said, I forgive you, but your child will die. This is a disturbing part of the Bible, and to be totally honest with you, you know, there's still a major part uh, of my heart that just does not like it at all, and it's connected to a, a very disturbing part of life, and here's the deal. If you are a Christian, at some point in your life, whether you're older or even younger, you will end up asking, okay, God, you say that I'm a Christian. You say that I'm forgiven. Then why am I suffering? If you're real, why is this happening to me? You know what? I know young kids. I know a young kid right now. He's 12 or 13 years old. Horrible tragedy hit him. And he said, I do not believe in God anymore. Because if he existed, he would not let this happen to me dead serious. So we all have to face that that question, right? If you say I'm forgiven, why am I suffering? We have to face it, so let's face it right now. Let me make something real clear right here. You need to know that the scriptures don't give us all of the information that we might want to answer all of the questions that we might have about suffering, Suffering is, is, is like a, a dark night. The Bible doesn't give us all of the light we might want to dispel all of the, the, the shadows in a way that we want, but it does give us enough light to walk so that we don't fall off a cliff and get destroyed. It does give us enough light to get up from the floor and to press on. Now, David is floored, totally devastated, His friends urged him to get up and to eat, but he refused. And when his newly born baby boy died, his servants were afraid to tell him because they were afraid he was going to kill himself. I cannot imagine anything more difficult than the loss of a child. We've had friends lose a young baby to SIDS or whatever, and Or their sons were older, 21, 22, lost because of an accident. I can't imagine anything more difficult. And yet, what we read when it came to David is he gets up. He gets up with dignity, he gets up with peace, he gets up with strength. He got up and he worshiped, he comforted his wife. How in the world is that even possible? How did he get up from the floor? What is it that he got while he was down and out that enabled him to comfort his wife and and himself and and, and to worship? Well, I think we see three things in in this story. And I'm telling you, these three things, they will not keep you from getting hit hard and knocked to the floor. But they will enable you to get back up and press on. And I'm I'm not saying that you'll be up in seven days like David was. The passage isn't teaching that. Sometimes it takes a lot longer, doesn't it? But it does teach us that you can get back up. So let's get to it. If you're taking notes, especially if you're in a crowded house, it's good for you to take notes so you're prepared for the the discussion later. When suffering knocks you down, remember, it's not payback, it's surgery. I'll explain what I mean. We and by the way, we have to spend a little extra time on this one because when 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 we sin and then and then uh, suffer, our normal reaction is, you know what? God must be punishing me. This is payback for this thing that I that I did. Now, no doubt, David struggled with this. I mean, think of think of what he did. I mean, he. He had an affair with his friend's wife, and she became pregnant. And in an attempted cover-up, he had uh, Bathsheba's uh, husband killed. It was his friend, had his own friend killed. And in the process, other soldiers got, got killed too. And for about a year, he talks to no one about what he did, not even God. Then one day, God sent Nathan the prophet to confront David. And then finally, finally, David confesses his sin. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 13. And it says this. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Now, no doubt David agonized over, over this thought that his boy's death was, was punishment for, for his sin. But then we read that he got up from the floor and worshipped. I mean, how was David able to, to do that? What insight did he get? Well, he realized that his boy's death was not payback but surgery. I mean, look, look what God said through Nathan in verse 13. He says, I, I put away your sin. I don't see your sin anymore. It is, it is out of my sight. Therefore, you shall not die. I am not punishing you. You know, suffering is not payback. And then the verse continues with the word, therefore. Or excuse me, nevertheless. Nevertheless, your translation might say, but, Right? And when it says nevertheless, that word contrasts uh, that verse with the one before it. If you only had verse 14, if that's all you had was verse 14 and not the previous verse, you would think that God is saying, you did not honor me, so I'm going to get you. I'm going to take you out. But the previous verse says, I put your sin away. I don't see it anymore. Nevertheless, I am switching to a new issue. So even though you are not being paid back there is something in your heart that needs to be repaired. And what what was that for David? What is wrong with his his heart? It's an important question because David was known as A man after God's own heart. And if he were a man after God's own heart, how in the world could he commit adultery? How in the world could he commit commit murder? How could he do something that was just so horrible? It was David's contempt. He did not take God seriously. Therefore, he didn't take what was right and wrong seriously. So he just did whatever he wanted regardless of who got hurt or who got ripped off or who was taken advantage of. You know what? At one point before this, I mean, he says this in Psalm 27. uh, There was a point where he was able to write, one thing I ask for of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That right there is worship. Someone who is focused on God. uh, Someone who, who who is seeing God clearly for who he is. God was everything he wanted and everything he needed, but he lost sight of that. And you know that he lost sight of that because his own desires became the most important thing in his life, and that distorted everything else. If God were still the most important thing in his life, and if he were still worshiping God for who he is, when he saw Bathsheba, he would have said, you know what, she's not for me. I could never betray God's love for me in that way. You know what? When when God is the center of your heart and your life and you are worshiping, you are free. You experience freedom like you never thought was possible. When God is at the center of your life, when you are worshiping, nothing can make you act like a coward. When God is at the center of your life and you're worshiping, nothing can, can compel you to be dishonest because you want to be loyal to God and you want to do what is right? Because you see God for who he is. David had that freedom, but then he lost it. So something has to be done to heal his heart. Now, when my kids were babies, taking them in to the doctor for shots was brutal. Have you ever taken your kids, those of you who have kids, have you taken kids in to take, get their shots? Brutal. I I wanted to punch someone, and I didn't know who to punch. I couldn't punch the nurse. Our, Our babies were crying. They were screaming. They didn't understand why they were being stabbed, you know, with a sharp object by a stranger. And we asked that stranger to stab our babies with that sharp object. In their mind, you know what, there is no good reason for me to be going through this pain and suffering. We knew it had to be done, even if they didn't understand it. I came across one of the most encouraging and disturbing quotes in a foreword. It's from a foreword in a book by Larry Crabb called Finding God. And Listen to what he writes in the dedication. He dedicates this to a guy named Dr. Charles Smith. In the memory of Dr. Charles Smith a mentor of mine who prayed that his cancer would return if it brought him closer to God. And in his last year, he found God in a measure he had never known before, and then he died of cancer. Now, if that seems, you know, stupid to us, it means that we don't know the reality of God that David lost. Because if you have the reality of God, you have everything. And if you don't have the reality of God, you have nothing. Nothing. Just this morning in my scripture uh, reading, David says, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have nothing. And he goes on to say, You alone are my portion and my cup. Meaning, Lord, you alone are my real wealth. You alone are my real pleasure." Nothing is worse than losing that because nothing is better than having that. So God says, because you lost it, I'm doing this so you can get it back. It's not payback, it's surgery. Now, okay, I want to make sure at this point you don't misunderstand. It's easy for me to misunderstand we need to see that there's a difference between David and us. God tells David through Nathan the prophet, all right? God makes it a point to point out that there is a direct connection between his sin and his son's death. God doesn't operate that way today i mean since the bible is complete since the scriptures are sufficient we no longer have prophets like nathan who function in that way so you know what that means that means we should not make connections where the bible does not make connections that so so maybe this message you know already has you thinking you know what does this mean if i conceived a child you know out of marriage that god will punish that child no that is not what this passage is teaching or you think, if my kid suffers, is it because of some sin that I, that I did? No, that is not what this passage is teaching. You know, do all, does all of my suffering have a, a connection to some specific sin in my life? No, not at all. Now, some, some sin does have a direct connection because there are natural consequences right but you can't just speculate like maybe it was because i did this thing that thing or the other thing and then make connections where the where the bible doesn't and some people may even try to convince you like try to speak into your life because the holy spirit told them or some nonsense like that can't make connections where the scriptures does not make connections In John 9, Jesus and the disciples see a man blind from birth, and his disciples ask him, Hey, Rabbi, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So in other words, they wanted to, to make some connections, right? Direct connections, but Jesus wouldn't let him do that. He said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then Jesus healed the man. So what this passage does teach is that when you confess your sin, God forgives. Therefore, the suffering in your life does not come from God's displeasure with you. He loves you. Suffering in our life is not payback. It is surgery. God can use the suffering for our good. That's the first thing to remember when suffering knocks you down. The second thing to remember is that it is not the end, there is more to the story. When we suffer a great loss like David, um, our normal reaction is to think, My hopes, my dreams, my plans, it's all gone. It is over. I will never be happy again. Have you been there? Yeah. And guess what? If you haven't been there yet, you will be. It's, it's just a matter of time. So we can't pretend, we can't be in denial, can't you know, pretend like it's not gonna happen or 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 just ignore it. We gotta deal with this, right? I'm sure David struggled with this. I'm sure when he got clobbered with this, you know, he felt like his life was over, and yet. What we read right here is that David got up from the floor, right? He pressed on. He worshiped. It says he got up and he worshiped and then he comforted his wife. How in the world could he do that? What did he get when he was down and out that we miss so often? We find out in verse 21. The servant said to him, what is this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. With those right words right there, I shall go to him, David is, suffering. you know what David is saying when he says, I shall go to him? He is saying that suffering does not have the last word. Suffering does not have the last word. I will be reunited with my son in the world to come. David is not saying, you know, you know eventually I'll die, I'll die too. I'll be with him in the, in the grave. Where's the comfort in that? The light that enables him to get up and go on living is the hope that he will enjoy eternal life in the presence of God with his child. He is focused on God now. He is worshiping now because he sees God for who he is and what he promised to do. And that brings him hope and that brings him healing. Where did that come from? Well, God promises people, if they trusted in the Messiah who was to come... He would give them victory over the grave. And David did trust the Messiah. And he expresses his confidence of life after death in Psalms like Psalm 16. Listen listen to this worship. He says, My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Look, ultimately, the only thing that can get you up from the floor is the confidence that suffering does not have the last word. There is life beyond the grave. There is more to the story. And guess what? However great your loss is, you need to know that ultimately, in light of eternity, you're not going to miss out on anything. (sighs) Maybe you struggle with it. Maybe you don't believe that this morning. Even if you say, I don't believe that, I think deep down that you do. See, we were created with that hope. I remember years ago, Shannon and I were watching Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Anybody here see that one? Right? Right. Kind of modernized. Instead of swords, they have like pistols and stuff, you know. And um, so so we're watching it. And Dakota is barely five years old, and he's sitting with us on the couch. And we figured, you know what? They're still using all the old uh, English. He's not going to track with it. It's going to be, you know, over his head. And then... There's one particular scene that, that starts, that starts to get pretty intense. And then it gets more intense and more intense, and we're like totally drawn into the TV, and then suddenly Leonardo Leonardo DiCap Romeo, whatever. <laughs> Romeo's best friend gets shot and killed. And we forgot about Dakota. Until, he just fell apart. I mean, it hit him hard, and he just started bawling his little eyes out. And I'm thinking, we are horrible parents. <laughs> now, Dakota was a tough kid. He's still a tough kid. And even though that you know he couldn't really maybe articulate it or whatever, there was something in him. He knew that that this 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 was injustice right here, and it hit him on a profound level. This, this was not over his head. It was real to him. This was not right. This cannot be the end of this guy's best friend. There must be more to the story. You know what? He reacted exactly how he was created to react. It came from a deep longing that we all have, whether we can articulate it or not, or 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 whether we're in denial of it or not, it came from a deep longing that we all have for life after death. A longing for someone to set things right. The scriptures teach us that God has written eternity on our hearts. Why do you think the great stories move you? It hit you, you know? Years ago, um, Shannon and I had a really good friend um, who was, was killed. An intruder came into her house and pistol whipped her to death. She loved Jesus. She, she was such an amazing encouragement. And then we got the news, and, and it just devastated us, right? And then I remember a couple, a couple days later, we decided to just kind of veg out. And so we uh, nerded out on Lord of the Rings. We watched Return of the King. Is that what it's called? The, the third one. The very last one. Right? And there was a scene where evil, after all of this hardship, evil finally crumbles. The source uh, and cause, and the expression of evil finally crumbles. And Shannon and I just, it, out of nowhere, just covered us, and we just broke down. This, this nerdy movie made us fall apart because we know that, yes, there is injustice. If suffering does not have the last word. There will be an end to evil and suffering one day. We have that to look forward to. All of the great stories point to the gospel, our need for the gospel, and so when we suffer, we long, we long for someone to stop it, for wrongs to be made right, for death, to be conquered with, with life. So, If you don't buy that this morning that that there's more to the story after this life where, where everything will be as it should be in the presence of God but you're feeling that deep longing for it I'm telling you, you're closer to faith than you think you are. So when you're knocked down, remember it's not the end, there's more to the story. And third, it's not plan B. It's plan A. Have you ever had Hopes, dreams, just crushed, shattered. And when that happens, we think, you know what? Now I guess I have to settle for God's second best. My sin or this tragedy that happened to me has has overtaken me, and it, it means that God can't use me in the way that he might have. And I can imagine that David struggled with that because, you know, what was, you know, God's plan A for David's life? It was to bear the family line which the Messiah would be born and then save the world. God promised David, from you will come the one who will save the world. The Messiah will be one of your descendants. I will be his father. He will be my son. And his throne will last forever. That right there was plan A. And so when David blew it so horrifically, he must have thought, well... There goes plan A. There is no way an adulterer and a murderer can can be trusted to bear and nurture the Messiah's family line. I totally messed up. Now I have to settle for God's plan B. God can't use me anymore, and I will be spiritually handicapped for the rest of my life. And what does it say? It says David got up from the floor. He came to realize that all of God's dealings with us are by grace. And as a result, God never, ever has a plan B. There is no plan B. Our God is bigger than our sin. He is stronger than our failures. He is not the source or the creator of sin and brokenness. He is so strong. He is so loving that he's he's even able to weave our failures and our suffering into plan A in such a way that his glory and grace shines even brighter. David came to understand God's grace and how it works. And so he worships. You know, this, this, I mean, it might be hard to see. It's so disturbing. We, we might not see it in this passage at, at first, but, but uh, it's dripping with grace. Let me show you. After David got up from the floor, in verse 24 it says, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Now, verse 15, earlier, the, the scripture refers to Bathsheba as Uriah's wife. But now after their loss, the loss of the son, it says, David comforted his wife Bathsheba. The grace of God extended so far that it, that it purified and hallowed a marriage bond which had been formed in horrible, horrible sin. And then there's even more grace as the verse continues and said, Bathsheba bore a son and he called his name Solomon, which comes from the Hebrew word Shalom, which means Peace. And so his son's name was a constant reminder to David that despite his horrible sin, he was at peace with God because of God's grace. And then there's even more grace. In verse 25, the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his son, son Jedediah because of the Lord's love for him. Jedidiah means Beloved of Jehovah, God was saying to David, we are still going with plan A. It is through this child Solomon that the Messiah will be born. God is saying, you know what, to show that you are forgiven, to show that this is not payback, to show that this is not the end, to show you that this is plan A, I am going to bring the Messiah through Bathsheba. Is that it's all of grace. God uses broken, weak sinners to accomplish His plan A because salvation is by grace. All right, time out. I have to clarify something here. All right? David's response was not, all right, on. I guess everything's going to be fine. I can do whatever I want. That was not his response. his response was worship. He got up and he worshiped. So this passage, grace, does not encourage sin. That's a distortion of grace. David did suffer some very heavy consequences, and he wished he absolutely never did that. He wasn't thinking, all right, I could just continue doing what I'm I'm doing. That is just not an understanding of of any true resemblance of, of grace this passage is meant to drive home the point that we're all sinners and we all need a savior And because there is a savior God works in and through us by grace to advance salvation in the world in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend so when suffering knocks you down remember it's not payback, it's surgery, it's not the end, there's more to the story it's not plan plan B, it's plan A And the reason that we can be sure of all of this is because God said the boy must die. Now let me explain what I mean. God said in order for salvation to go forward, David, your son must die. But unlike any other God in any other religion, our God never asks anything of anyone that he doesn't ask himself. God says to himself... If salvation is to go forward in the world, my son must die. With David, we're talking about salvation in his life. God said, David, in order for salvation to advance in your life, I've got to bring you back. But then God the Father voluntarily sends Jesus Christ as a sin offering to bring salvation to the world. There was no other way for us to be saved. Now, there's a very good chance you have all kinds of questions right now. Still, what about this? What about that? What about this other thing? I get it. I know. And that's something that we're going to have to hammer out uh, together. But it doesn't have to come from a a, a place of, of anxiety. We can hammer it out from a place of peace. Because the Bible might not give us all the information we want to answer all the questions we might have about suffering But it does give us enough light to see our gracious, life-giving God so that we can have hearts filled with worship, a worship that heals us and brings relief, enables us to get up and press on. And the greatest light comes from the cross because it shows us, the cross shows us, that God hates suffering even more than you do. He hates it so much that he was willing to embrace suffering so that he could eventually destroy suffering and sin without destroying us. The ultimate reason we can get up from the floor is because God said to himself, my son, God the son, must die. Listen, God is not the creator source of sin and brokenness. But he can use our suffering to advance salvation in the world and in your life. And you may not have all the answers to all your questions, but when you look to the cross, you can know that he hates sin more than you do. And you can know that even if we don't understand it, he took the worst thing that ever happened, the murder of God the Son, and turned it into the most beautiful thing that ever ever happened. And you might think there is no reason, there's nothing good can come out of this. We don't know that. God, our gracious loving creator of the universe, the one who sustains and holds all together is a God of redemption. He can take the worst situation and turn it around in ways that we may not even understand in this life. The question is will you trust him? Are you going to hold on to a demanding Attitude that just demands answers. I will not trust you until you answer all of my questions. There are some things that we won't know until we see our loving Heavenly Father face to face. Nothing heals like seeing Jesus for who he is and what has done and what he's going to do and then worshiping with deep gratitude and great hope. So when suffering blindsides you, if, if, if we're willing to trust him, he will cleanse us, he will purify us, he will heal us, he will give us strength, and he will make us more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, um, at this point I, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would bring peace to those who are, are here right now who are suffering and are confused and genuinely want answers. God, I pray that you would bring healing to them. I pray that you would bring them peace that passes all understanding. I pray that you bless them with a faith that says, even if I don't have all the answers, I know God is good and gracious and, and loving. He proved it by giving up his own son so that I might be saved. God, I pray, Lord, that whatever doubts that we have would not short circuit our faith and give us the ability to doubt our doubts. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see Jesus. Give us eyes to see who he is and what he's done for us and what he's going to do. That in advancing his kingdom uh, in and through us, he is in the process of turning everything wrong in the world right because you hate suffering more than we do. So God, help us to trust you so that you may be glorified. Give us the faith of of Job who said, even if the Lord slays me, I will trust him. You've proven time and time again that you are trustworthy. God, help us not to look at you through the lens of brokenness and suffering because that just distorts who you are. Help us to look at our pain and suffering and And brokenness through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of Jesus, so that we might have clarity on the suffering in our life, and experience in a very real way a peace that passes all understanding. God, I pray if there's anybody here who's not trusted you, but but your spirit is is um, waking them up. To their need for you, I pray that you would enable them to put their faith in you this morning. Give them the courage required to follow you and to trust you, even if they don't have all of the answers to all their questions. We pray these things in your name.